Ruth chapter 3. Now, it's an interesting passage of Scripture. And as I said, we're going to uh, look at this God willing uh, twice. There are a number of things which, perhaps as we read that section of the word through, um, were something of a puzzle to you. Perhaps the section regarding uh, Boaz uh, from verse 12, where Boaz says, I am a close relative, but there is a relative who's even closer than me. Let me see if he will perform the duty of a close relative. Now, some of you might be thinking, what on earth is that about? Well, uh, God willing, be here in two weeks' time and we'll explain it. What is it that Boaz might be able to do for Ruth? If this other man, because it is a man, if he cannot or will not fulfill whatever the duty is, well, God willing, come in two weeks' time and the week after as we move into chapter 4 and uh, all will be revealed as we consider Boaz and the role that he plays. But this evening we're going to just think about the position that Ruth finds herself in. I've been greatly, greatly helped by a number of really helpful books that have been written on this little book of the Bible. Uh, Some of them relatively recent books in terms of Bible commentaries and many of them delving into lots of uh, nuances that this book contains. And one in particular pointing out some of the wonderful gospel parallels that exist even in that chapter that we've just read. And there's some of the things that I want to focus on this evening as we consider what it is that Naomi is instructing Ruth to do. Now, one thing that certainly needs to be said right at the start, that um, the instructions that, they, that Naomi gives to her daughter-in-law Uh, are not the best instructions, perhaps, to give to a single lady who needs a husband. To go in the middle of the night, under the cover of darkness, and seek out where this man is sleeping, and to lie down at his feet, is highly unlikely to be anything that any of the elders recommend to anybody. To place yourself in such a position, potentially, of vulnerability possibly of temptation, is not usually the best counsel, which only serves to show us that just because something is in the Bible, it does not automatically follow that we are to follow what is written there. This is a very specific situation. This is a a very unique situation. And as we'll see, I trust, in the next few weeks, It also speaks volumes about Boaz. Well, what do we see of Ruth as Naomi addresses her? Well, we can see in the opening verse what it is that Naomi says to her. Because we can't be quite certain how old Ruth is. We have that figure of ten years given to us earlier in the book. Um, At some point, Ruth married one of Naomi's boys. At some point, they died. 
the 10 years gives us a guide. It doesn't allow us to really pin things down uh, with certainty. But presumably Ruth is still a relatively young woman. Perhaps she still is only in her 20s. Maybe her early 30s at the most. But many seem to think that perhaps she was still just in her 20s with all of her life ahead of her. Um, and Naomi's great wish, understandably for Ruth, is that she would seek security for her daughter-in-law, that it may be well with you. God willing, Ruth still has a long life to live. She needs someone to look after her, to support her, to keep her, hopefully to love her. Security. Or we might use the word rest. Peace. Contentment. Lasting security is what Naomi wants for Ruth. Being settled and established. Having a place to call home. She's a foreigner. She's not even a Jew. Belonging somewhere. Having ongoing provision and protection. You've seen on your TV screens probably, or in the newspapers, the unrest in the last few days of those in London who found themselves homeless after that terrible fire, who's, who've lost everything, whose future is filled with doubts and uncertainty. They need security, don't they? That's what they're seeking more than anything else. We need something secure. Tell us, please, someone tell us how and when we're going to get that security that we know we need. Well, that is Naomi's heart for Ruth. To whom can she turn for help? Naomi wants Ruth to find and to have lasting peace. Lasting contentment, lasting security. Now, of course, these are things which everybody seeks. These are things that everybody wants. And, of course, it is presumed in this world in which we live that this kind of rest and security is to be found in a combination of things. The experience of certain types of pleasures. The possession of certain types of things. The acceptance of certain types of truths and philosophies and ideas. But we know, of course, that, that these things just do not work. We remember not long ago we were studying through the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon looks out into the world in which he lives and uh, one of the things that we read there of Solomon was these words in, in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes he says then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness the wise man's eyes are in his head but the fool walks in darkness Yet I myself perceived that the same event happens to them all. I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, 
it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. There is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing for me. All is vanity, all is grasping for the wind. I hated all my labour in which I toiled, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. All is vanity. The rich discover that for all their millions, a new trouble arrives with every new pound. The things we've been learning from the Apostle Paul in Philippians on Sunday mornings stand in stark contrast to the kinds of things that the world think are necessary in order that you might have the kind of security, the rest, the peace, the contentment that Naomi seeks for Ruth. And this indeed is one of the main messages of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus said... I've come to give you rest. In the Lord Jesus Christ, and only in him, will you actually find the kind of rest and security, the kind of peace and contentment that your soul longs for. Jesus has come to give rest to the longing, hurting, anxious soul. It's a rest that doesn't depend upon earthly circumstances or conditions. It's a rest that comes from having all your past dealt with at the cross. Issues that need to be forgiven are forgiven. Guilty consciences are cleansed. Those things in your past which might haunt you and hold you back may finally be put away because in Christ Jesus all things are made new. Those fears which once paralysed may now be overcome in Christ because there is rest for your soul. It's a rest in which all the heavy burdens of the heart and mind may be lifted as you lean upon Christ in all his fullness. The kind of rest, the kind of security that Naomi wants for Ruth lies in parallel, you see, to that rest and security that Christ has come to give and fulfill. There's an old document called the Heidelberg Catechism. What on earth is that, some of you are thinking? Well, a catechism is an explanation of what we believe from the Bible as Christians, but it's in the form of questions and answers rather than simply statements. 
in the Catechism you find this question. What is your only comfort in life and death? Kind of harks back to Paul this morning, doesn't it? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But whether through my life or through my death, I might honour and glorify Christ. What is your only comfort in life and death? Well, there's a question to put to people. Here's the answer. That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, now you'll laugh, not a hair can fall from my head. Well, I've known a lot of God's will in my life, hasn't I? That's for sure. All things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. That is the place where you find security. That is the place where you find rest for your longing soul. This is the rest and security that God has made available through the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. And Naomi points Ruth to the right person to go to. That's not very good English, but you understand what I mean. The right person to go to. Boaz, verse 2. Our relative, or as some translations uh, have it, our kinsman. He's one of us, Naomi says. That's who Ruth needs, not just anyone. Someone who's one of us. Because as we'll see, there are certain duties that Boaz may perform that not everybody can perform. And he will. You need someone like Boaz. Only someone like he will do. A kinsman. Now, you and I are in great need of a kinsman. We're in great need of someone who is one of us. You see, that's why the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and became a man. That he, who is God, and who would remain God, could become one of us. Could become like us in that sense. Now, of course, he wouldn't become like us in that he remained without sin whilst we are thoroughly fallen in sin. The Bible teaches about sin in such a way that it's been described by theologians as total 
depravity. Um, what does that mean? Well, Tim Keller said something which I think is actually very helpful to understand total depravity. He said this, if sin is blue, all of me is blue. That's what it means. Every part of me is sinful. Every part of me has been affected by sinfulness. There is no aspect of my being or my nature that sin has not touched. There's no part of me that's managed to escape. It's all there in its sinfulness. But Christ has remained without sin, yet he has become a kinsman to us. He's become like us. So that in the scriptures we read, for example, that Christ can perfectly and completely sympathise with us in all of our weaknesses. Because at every point, like we have been tempted and are tempted, he too was tempted. He knows what it feels like to be a man or a woman who struggles with sin. Yet he remained without sin. He knows and understands all of our struggles. How can that be? Because there's a very real sense in which he became one of us. He became flesh and blood in order that he can come and bridge that gap between fallen men and women and a holy and righteous God. Who is able to do that? None but the one who is the God-man. The one who has become our kinsman. And that is why we read some wonderful things, such as the fact that we have now a great inheritance as Christian people. If you're a Christian, you have a great inheritance. And the Bible describes you as being a joint heir with Christ. That's an amazing thing that the Bible says. I'm on that same level with him. How can that be? This is wonderful. Because he has become one of us. Naomi realized that she needed to point Ruth to one particular man who alone would be able to help. And that's who Jesus would be. That's who Jesus is. He's the one man who is able to help. He is the only one who is the right person to go to. Because only Christ can do what Christ has done. Only Christ can supply that which Christ supplies. And we have these wonderful gospel parallels running through the story of Ruth. Remember that occasion when Jesus was talking to those two disciples on the Emmaus Road. They didn't, they didn't recognize him for a while. And we're told there that he took them through the Old Testament scriptures and explained to them how all the Old Testament scriptures spoke of him. I wonder if it's not possible, but if he could come now and just open up the book of Ruth, I wonder how many hours he could keep us explaining how all of these wonderful words speak of him. 
Do you know the right person to go to? That's what Ruth needed. That's what you need. The right person to go to is Christ. There is none like him. There is none that even comes close. Only he can provide the rest and security that your soul is in need of. And to him you must go. And as Naomi speaks to Ruth, she not only knows the right person that she needs to go to, she knows the right place she needs to go to. And it's the threshing floor where the winnowing has been taking place. Now these are old terms, but the concept still happens today, except it's all done by machines mostly, apart from some more primitive places. It's been the harvest, the barley harvest, and most of the grain now is being gathered in. But as it stands, it's no good. The grain has to be separated from the stalk. The grain has to be separated from the plant, from the husks. Well, how do you do that? Well, you thresh it. You might want to say you thrash it, because that's basically what they did. They, They whacked it to loosen all the grain from the plant. But then they have to be separated because all you want is the grain, the kernel. So what takes place then? Well, you winnow it. And winnowing is a very simple process. You, you need a breezy day to do it, not too, not too much wind, not too little. And you throw this great mixture up into the air. And all the husks are light and flaky. And they blow away in the breeze but the grain is heavier and that falls back to the ground and you keep doing this process, throwing it up into the air, winnowing and gradually all the husks blow away and you're left just with the grain. You let the wind do most of the work for you. Well, the harvest has been taking place and they've been in the threshing floor and they've been winnowing the grain and there's a a whole heap of grain left over, verse 7. It's been a good day been a successful day and that's where Boaz is to be found but it's interesting that it's the threshing floor where Ruth is sent the threshing floor appears a number of times in the Bible as the place where God has dealings with his people the threshing floor appears a number of times in the Bible as a place where important decisions are made In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David has, against God's will, done a numbering of all the people. Uh, And God has unusually given David a choice of three different punishments. And God deals with David on the threshing floor of a man called Ornan. And it's there that David is dealt with by the Lord. The book previous to Ruth is the book of Judges. Ruth is from the time of the Judges. And probably after the time of Ruth, perhaps, God would approach a man called Gideon. And what's Gideon doing? Well, he's hiding, threshing the wheat. He's doing it in the wine press. But he's threshing wheat. And there... God confronts Gideon 
Gideon has to make an important decision there. And Jesus talks about the process of threshing and winnowing. And he talks about these kinds of things. And he uses them as pictures and examples in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is speaking and he says at verse 31, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. The, the threshing floor is a place of separation. It's a place of decision in the Bible. Jesus talks about the day when the wheat and the chaff will be separated and the wheat will be gathered in. He's, he's talking about drawing in all the Christian believers. So the threshing floor through the scriptures is synonymous with a place of decision, a place where God deals decisively with men and women, a place where God separates the wheat from the chaff. And there's an important decision about to be, about to be made. There's something decisive about to happen in Ruth's life and it's to the threshing floor that God sends Ruth through the uh, instruction that Naomi gives her. She goes to the right place. A place of separation, the wheat from the chaff. And a place where people make vital decisions in the Bible. And you know, if you've never done it before, you, you need to go to a place of decision. You need to go to the place where God deals decisively with men and women and where God separates the wheat from the chaff. You see, that actually is what the gospel does. That is what the cross does. The gospel splits this world into two. The cross splits this world into two. You're either for him or you're against him. And if you've never thought it through like that before, you need to decide which you are. You either decide for Christ or you decide to reject Christ. You either trust Christ or you despise him. You might not feel like you despise him, but to not trust him is to despise him. There's a place you have to come to and make your choice and your decision about Christ. And we see that Ruth lies at the feet of Boaz. Now, there's quite a few occasions in the New Testament when the feet of Christ are spoken of. Mary was scolded by Martha for sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said Mary was in the right place to humbly come and sit at the feet of Christ that you might learn of him. That's the right place to be. Mary would later fall at his feet at the death of her brother Lazarus. And there are times in our lives when 
those sorrows and griefs and disappointments will come. Where's the right place to go? Back to the feet of Christ. And pour out your grief and your sorrow at his feet. Give it all to him. There are those occasions recorded in the scriptures where a lady came and anointed the feet of Christ with perfume. It was an act of worship. It was an act of a grateful, thankful heart. It was an act of adoration and praise. And they came to the feet of Christ. After his resurrection, Jesus would bid his disciples to come and look at his hands and his feet, his feet that were pierced. Ruth humbly submits herself to Boaz in the hope of blessing. And if you've never done it before, you need to just humbly submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the right person to go to. And the place to come is to come to his feet, come to the foot of the cross, come to the feet of Christ and simply submit yourself to him as Saviour and Lord. And we see... As the story draws to a conclusion, and we're leaving some stuff out that we'll be looking at next time around, God willing, she goes away blessed. She goes away full. And just as we see Ruth coming to Boaz, the gospel parallel is that you, in like manner, must come to Christ. And if you do, The outcome is certain. You too will be blessed. You too will receive fullness. And you too will know blessing. You will find the security. You will find the rest. You will find that peace that you know you need. That perhaps you've looked for in many other places before. But you need to come to that place. There is the right person to go to. There is the right place to go to, and it is Jesus Christ. And I trust that you will consider these things, and if you've never done so before, that Christ might become your rest, your peace, and your comfort, even this evening.